I've watched that video 15 times in the last two days because I can't stop watching those moments. Have you had those moments? I mean, we laugh because we know those moments. If it's your first time here, uh, my name is Nathan. Thank you for joining us. Will you pray with me and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together and just hear what it is that you want to speak today. And so I pray right now for every single heart in this place, soften our hearts in order to hear your word and open our eyes and see you at work constantly in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I asked the question, do you know those moments? Because we all know those moments. Those moments that turn into those days. And here's the thing, it's, it's really, really uh, easy for me, and it's actually really, really enjoyable for me to see those moments happen in someone else's life, but it's not so clear to us, is it? In other words, I can see very clearly when someone else is going to fall into one of those moments where they're screaming at a golf ball, and they're mad at the cake, and they're mad at their boss, but that's harder when we look in the mirror. And the reason for that is really if we could step back objectively and just see it objectively without all of our emotions and all of our thoughts and all of our feelings involved, you know what we'd see? We would actually see that our days and our lives are really full of these temptations to go a completely different direction than we intended when we got up in the morning. It just is. It's just like that. And the thing that, we, that, that is so difficult about this is that when these moments show up, it, it's not like Adam and Eve had it. It was a snake in a garden with an apple that said, take a bite. That's not how these moments show up. It's, it's a lot more insidious than that. It shows up in these fleeting moments that are spread across our daily agendas is really how it shows up. And it's, it's in those moments in our reaction to those moments, that we actually learn something not about the thing in front of us, but we learn something about what's going on inside of us. We learn about what's driving us. We learn about what we're really pursuing. And it's that pursuit that I want to talk about today and in the coming weeks. Because really, every single moment and every single reaction and every single hour and every single day, you know what that is? It's a building block of something much, much bigger than you and me. It's the building block of a kingdom, of some kind of kingdom. And in a room this big with this many people, I have to think that you can, you can understand a struggle that, that I've faced myself. That as we led into Easter, we talked about making Jesus king. And I would be willing to bet that there are many in here, myself included, that we say, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life, but I will spend my time of my life pursuing, really, a kingdom outside of that king's kingdom. Isn't it interesting? I mean, we get to the end of the day, and we look back, and we're exhausted. And we get to the end of the week, and we look back, and we're exhausted. And we get to the end of the year, end of our lifetimes, and we look back, and it's exhausting because we were split. We said, Jesus, I want you to be king, but I want to pursue my kingdom or a kingdom. And as we look back, we have regrets. And it's just exhausting. And then what maybe makes it worse is that you know people that maybe they, they had the privilege of building their entire kingdom throughout their lives. And then when they're gone, you, they, could, they couldn't take it with them. I mean, isn't that encouraging? Aren't you so glad you came to church this morning? And Jesus says, you know what? There's another way. There's actually another way to go about life because there's another kingdom. 
And it's that kingdom, the kingdom of God, that we're going to spend the upcoming weeks talking about. And we're going to park in the book of Matthew because throughout the book of Matthew, you know what Jesus talks about over and over and over again? The kingdom of God. And he doesn't talk about it in far off terms. Like one day in the heavens, he talks about what the kingdom of God looks like here, now, here on earth. And so we are going to talk about that because remember every single moment and every single response and every single conversation and every single day is really a building block of a kingdom. The thing is, we've got this enemy who heard Jesus talk about all that. And, and we have this enemy who saw you say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. And so you know what he does? He doesn't stand idly by. He says, I'm going to get in the way. And that's what I want to talk about this morning before we get into all the stuff about the kingdom of God in the upcoming weeks. We need to talk about the front end of it. Because you and I have an enemy who says, I want to stop that. And you know what? Instead of coming to us first, guess who we went to first? We went to Jesus. In fact, listen to this account. This is out of Matthew chapter 4. Read this with me. It'll be on the screen. Jesus was led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, here comes the understatement of the year, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, when Jesus quoted that, he was quoting a time when the people of God, the Israelites, were in the same spot he is, in the same, in the same position, in the wilderness. Then the devil took him to the holy city, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And now he's going to use what Jesus just used against him. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Now, this is so interesting to me, because when you and I think about temptation, we think about the what of temptation. And so we've got these big, we're just on the lookout for these really big things. Like, okay, uh, don't murder. Check that off. Okay, I'm good. You know, I got past that temptation. And we think about the what over and over and over, but you have an enemy that, and, and I have an enemy, and we have an enemy who's much more clever than that. In fact, I think he wants us to think, well, if they can just avoid the what, I can get them through a side door. And so today, I want to look at what this interaction with Jesus, between Jesus and the devil, what it surfaces. Because as we look through it, you know what we're going to see is that Jesus cuts right through every single one of this enemy's schemes. And we would do well to see it for what it is. Because he knows this is a pivotal point. 
He knows that if you want to engage in being part of the kingdom of God and the building of the kingdom of God and God using you to build that kingdom, wouldn't it make sense for him to hit us at the beginning of that? Of course it would. And so, as we step into this, I, w- I want to just highlight a few things that I think just go right, right past our radar when this kind of thing comes up. The first thing is the place we're in. Consider the place that this is happening. Look at verse 1 again. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by the devil. Now, Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan River. And between the Jordan River and where Jesus would end up beginning his ministry is about 30 miles of just dry, warped, barren land. And the hills to the south actually drop about 1,200 feet into this, one of the lowest points on earth with this intense dryness and heat. And it's just very, very rugged. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine just staring at that day after day after day? You'd probably want something new, right? You get this, the same cubicle every single day, same people every single day. Same budget every single day. The same food. You name it. Same emotions, same feelings, same books. What are you staring at right now? I mean, if you could just stop and think about it, what are you staring at right now? And this is where the enemy is very clever because after days and days and really what were weeks of staring at the same wilderness, he shows up to Jesus And look where he takes him. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city. Oh, so there's something going on. It's something besides these regular surroundings. To the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. A few verses later in verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Do you think that looked refreshing? You bet. I mean, how do you feel when it's been a week of staring at the same cubicle, the same computer screen? Saturday looks really good. Outside the office looks really, really good. And so this is when the enemy comes after Jesus. He says, I know you've had the same surroundings, but I'm going to take you to something exciting. You know who gets this? Soldiers get this. Soldiers who have been staring at combat or wartime scenarios, or military drills, day in and day out, when they get a day off, you often will, you'd see stories in the news about soldiers who enjoyed their free time just a little bit too much. You know who else gets this? Prisoners get this. Prisoners get this because they've been staring at the same space over and over and over. You know who else gets this? Missionaries get this. When they've been in another country, in different surroundings, in the third world, and then they come back to the first world, it is very, very hard. It's difficult. So there's a reintegration process that takes place. So you can imagine the shock this was to Jesus, to his system, as he's seeing all this. But it's not just the place that this is taking place that you have to be aware of. There's also the time that this took place. Do you know what happens in Matthew chapter 3 right before this episode? Jesus was, what do we say? He was baptized. Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 3, and then immediately, 
led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. It's interesting to me that a lot of times when we're most vulnerable is not, is not necessarily when we're worn down, but it's on the heels of a great victory of God. You can see it throughout Scripture. You really can. King David, on the heels of great victory, had one of his greatest falls. Elijah the prophet, he defeated all kinds of these other prophets who worshipped a different god on a mountain, and immediately he's driven into the wilderness because the death threats of Jezebel are ringing in his mind. And it's often on the heels of great victory that we are most vulnerable, and the enemy knows that. Do you remember screaming at the TV screen when the first Lord of the Rings came out? Just screaming at it. Gandalf. Gandalf, he's in the cave. He's fighting that giant fiery monster. This is a spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but it's been 20 years, so you deserve to be spoiled if you haven't seen it, okay? But remember screaming? I scream at the screen a lot. This thing is falling down into this pit, and with one last, one last attack... He flings this fiery whip. And Gandalf, who's turned his back, and he thinks he's fine, gets taken down with him. I won't tell you the rest of the movie, but go see it, okay? It's what happens. Sometimes it's not on the heels of a great victory. You know what happens right after this episode? Jesus' ministry begins. See, no sermons have been preached yet at this point. No miracles have taken place. And oftentimes it's before a mighty work of God that the enemy wants to attack us. I remember the, the most trying time of wrestling season in high school was always Thanksgiving. I don't know why they timed it this way. Do you know when wrestling season starts? Like two weeks before Thanksgiving. And you have to try to cut weight and you're sitting there at the, at the Thanksgiving table like, this is awful. This has to be the devil's work right here. Just just tempting and tempting and tempting. Or maybe it's the moment that Jesus is in right here. Let me read to you verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Remember we said there was a total understatement that came after that? He was hungry. He was hungry. Maybe you're not in a season where it's on the heels of a great victory. Or maybe you don't know that you're about to engage in a mighty, God's about to use you to engage in a mighty work. Maybe, maybe you're just truly at the most vulnerable you've ever been. Are you hungry? What are we hungry for? It's worth asking. It's worth asking because the enemy knows that we're hungry for attention, for food, for the material things of life for achievement, for accomplishment, for reconciliation. He knows all of it. He knows all of it. So coming into play here now is not just the place that they're in. It's not just the time or the season that they're in. But there's also that piece of temptation that we often go to. You also got to consider what's being offered. Look at what the enemy is handing out to Jesus to take. If you are, verse 3, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Got a question for you. Is bread sinful? I mean, is bread inherently sinful? No. No, it's not. 
but it wasn't God's will for Jesus in this moment. God's will for Jesus in this moment was fasting. Verse 6, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And then he quotes this, this passage from Psalm 91 that we'll talk about in a minute. Is it bad? Is God's protection sinful? No. Would some spectacular sign or miracle right now where Jesus throws himself down and he's rescued by angels, is that sinful? No. But it wasn't God's will in this moment. God's will for Jesus was to go the way of the cross. That's how he wanted to win people to him. It continues. Verse 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me, said the enemy. Are the kingdoms of the world, if you're Jesus, are the kingdoms of the world a bad thing? No. They're not, but it wasn't God's will. Because God's will and God's promise to Jesus was a different kingdom. He was a different kingdom. And this is, this is so clear to us when we're looking at other people's lives. In fact, I bet you know exactly what you would tell somebody if they came to you and said, hey, what should I do? About this? I've got this opportunity. I bet you know exactly what you would tell them if, if you were in their shoes if you were counseling them. But this gets difficult when it's us. It's like an emotional fog sets in. And we have to remember that we have to weigh what is being handed to us. We have to weigh it against more than the specific circumstances that we're in. About seven years ago, in a town in England, there was uh, actually an Easter egg hunt one Sunday. And so this guy, he, he got his family, his three kids in the car. They went to this Easter egg hunt, townwide Easter egg hunt. There's about 75 kids in it. And all these kids are running around getting their eggs and all that. And it came time to count all the eggs to make sure everybody had gotten one. And he looked out by the road, and this three-year-old had wandered out by the road and had picked up this egg. And it's trying to get it open. Kid set it down, starts jumping on the egg, and the guy walked over, and he picked the kid up off the egg, and he picked up the egg, and he realized this is not an egg. I mean, it looked like an egg, and it looked all right. You know what they found? This is a true story. It's in the news. A hand grenade. A hand grenade from World War II. It was live and fully functional. They were able to call the bomb squad and safely detonate this thing. But it looked just fine. It looked just fine. And we have to consider not just the setting we're in when temptation shows up, not just the time or the season we're in, but we have to be able to weigh what is being offered to us because it is just like a fog when it's offered. Well, now it gets a little more difficult because the other thing that's got to be considered is the way we go about the way we go about what's being handed to us. Let me, read, let me read to you from the passage we just read. Satan looks at Jesus and he says, for it is written, he's gonna use what Jesus said to him now against Jesus. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot 
against a stone. And he's quoting from Psalm 91. Here's the thing. You know what he did? He just left out. He left out a little piece. He's quoting from Psalm 91, 11, verse 11 and 12. And he left out just this little piece in there. And he really overlooked the entire context of the psalm. I doubt he overlooked it. I bet he knew. But that psalm is about dwelling in the shelter of the ways of the Most High God. It's about dwelling and living in his ways. And what Satan is asking Jesus to do is just throw yourself off. It'll be, it'll be miraculous. It'll be a sign that when people see it, they will follow. And it's not that the miracles and the sign of it would be a bad thing. But this wasn't the way of God in that moment. See, it's entirely possible for us to go about the things of God, but not in the ways of God. And finally, we also have to consider who we are in the eyes of God. We've got to consider who we are. Look at what Jesus, or what Satan says to Jesus. Verse 3, if you are the Son of God. If, if you're the Son of God, Jesus, don't, don't you have the kind of relationship that you can, I mean, you can just do whatever you want. You can tap into your God power. But remember, Jesus came and emptied himself of all that to have a very human experience, to be tempted as we are. Satan says, but if you're the son of God, don't you have a right? Don't you have a right to that? He says it again in verse 6. If you are the son of God, and this is interesting to me because when you look at the Greek writing of it, the Greek wording for it actually implies that this was closer to him saying, since you're the son of God. In other words, Jesus, what does it mean to be the Son of God? Can't you access all power at any given time? Can't you use your power any way you wish if you are the Son of God, since you are the Son of God? And it's like he shows up now with flattery because he knows we're prone to it. He knows we're prone, that he can flatter us. My wife actually gets this. You know what she does sometimes? She'll walk up and she'll say, Nathan, you're so strong. I bet, I bet you can take the trash out with one arm. And I bet you can do it in the next 15 seconds. And I'm like, watch this. And I'm off. Nathan, I bet you could wash the dishes with one hand be tied behind your back in the next two minutes. I'm like, I'll do it in one minute. Watch this. That might have been a bad example. I'm not drawing parallels between my wife and, and the enemy here at all. <laughs> Remember, husbands, the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like your wife. Remember that, okay. But it's entirely possible that Jesus could have taken advantage of his power and his relationship with God. So you know what happens in the wilderness when those moments show up, the ones we saw earlier? You know what happens in the deserts of life? The enemy shows up. And he says, this is the right place. He makes it look that way. Looks like the right place, right time. What I'm offering you is the right thing. Let me show you the right way to go about it. And you're the right person. And you know what? It's a lie. 
It is a lie. So Jesus, Jesus quoting from Deuteronomy, referencing a time when the people of God are in this very situation, in the desert, in the wilderness. Look at what he says. Verse 3, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want you to notice something about these statements of Jesus. Verse 7, he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And finally in verse 10, he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do you see the emphasis in those passages? It actually has nothing to do with what is outside of Jesus in, that, in those moments. It's got everything to do with a relationship. I mean, do you think Jesus wanted bread? Yeah. Do you think he wanted people to follow him? Oh, yeah. Do you think when he saw the kingdoms and he thought about all the people in those kingdoms and their hearts and their souls and their eternities, do you think he wanted those kingdoms? Yeah. But you know what he wanted more? Was perfect relationship with his heavenly father. See, when the enemy shows up and he says, it's the right place, it's the right time, it's the right thing in the right way, and you're the right person, when it all looks right, it can lead us all wrong if it puts us into wrong relationship with our Heavenly Father. And consider again, where are they right now? They're in the desert. What happens in deserts? You've seen this in the movies. What happens in deserts? When somebody's trudging along and they look tired and they're sweating and they're fatigued and they're sunburnt and then they suddenly see something and it looks like the right place and it looks like the right time and it's the right thing and it came about in the right way and they're the right people. What's that called? It's a mirage. It's a mirage. You know what I think we got to know as we begin talking about the kingdom of God? is the presence of our own kingdoms in our field of vision. The deserts of our lives present mirages of our kingdoms. The deserts, every single moment, in some way, in some area, we're all walking through a desert. The deserts of our lives present mirages of our kingdoms. And you know how you answer that? You don't. You don't answer that. Because nobody in here on our best day is wise enough to understand that he's coming at us with the place we're in, the time we're in, the thing that's being offered, the way. We're not wise enough. So you have a different ally. And I have a different ally. Look at verse 1 again. There's so much detail here. Verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know who your ally is? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God actually has a tool that he uses, that he gives you and me. Look at each of Jesus' responses, the beginning. It is written, it is written, it is written. The Spirit of God using the Word of God is how we answer these moments. But you can't have the Spirit of God 
using the word of God in your life if you don't know the son of God? That's the starting point. You got to know the son of God. Do you know the son of God? If not, as we close in worship in just a few moments here, if not, there will be Stephen ministers around the room. We would love to know you, but we would love even more for you to know Jesus, the Son of God, because there are so many people in this room who understand what happens when you know the Son of God and you receive the Spirit of God and he uses the Word of God. Guess what happens? God's kingdom begins to advance through you and around you and in your life and in the lives of those that God uses to touch. But the other thing that happens is what happened next. We discover and we experience what Jesus experienced. Verse 11, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is, so, this is just funny to me, actually, because remember what he was tempted with? Food. And remember what else he was tempted with? Angels. Do you know what this is? This is angels bringing food. And you know what he was promised? A kingdom. And in the end, you know what Jesus got? He wanted food. He wanted people to follow him. He wanted kingdoms. But he wanted a perfect relationship with his heavenly father. And in the end, you know what Jesus got? All of it. You know what happens when we put our physical wants in front of our spiritual needs? That relationship with our heavenly father? We get none of it. At all. And so let this be a reminder at the beginning of talking about the kingdom of God that God has maybe far more than you and I could even see in the moment. That if we could understand what we see in front of us, that it, maybe it's a mirage, that it is a mirage, that our kingdoms are not reality, well, then God may just have something so much greater. But it starts in perfect relationship. With him. I'm going to bring up the worship team and I will, I will pray and then we'll close in worship. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for every single person that you have brought through these doors last week, today, over the past few months, few years. But Heavenly Father, we know that it's not just to fill a building, it is to draw us to you. And so we pray as we look ahead, as we look at beginning to talk about and look at what you have to say about the kingdom of God, we want to see that built. But Heavenly Father, let us stop and see clearly today. Give us the strength and the eyes to see, not because of our wisdom or our clarity or because we just understand, but because of your spirit, Heavenly Father. For those who may not know you, who haven't experienced having your spirit and knowing your word, I pray that you would deepen that thirst inside every single one of us, that we could step forward and know that every single moment, every single reaction, every single conversation, every single day is the building block of your kingdom. And so let us wake up every single morning reminded that you invite us into doing today a different way. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.